This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Artillery Brewing Company. He's Mike Loveless. He's Sean Naughton. I'm Rich Shane. And this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. I'm excited. It's a Tuesday afternoon. We get to talk beer. More importantly, we get to talk about the story of artillery brewing. So you guys are going to work together to see who's going to talk and and everything else. But talk about your story. How did all this get started? Sure. So uh, it starts off, as many of these do, with home brewing. Uh, Started as a home brewer back in 2013. Uh, Chester County. Uh, my wife, at a certain point, started to realize she didn't enjoy the house smelling like a small brewery. So I was pointed uh, to, to go somewhere else uh, to start to brew. Uh, the history before that, and really where the brand came from, uh, I had spent my uh, early mid 20s living in Europe. I lived in France, in Germany, and England. And um, I had become enamored as a young kid with cannons, I did, largely because my parents... Uh, with cans? Cannons. Oh, cannons. Okay, that's like can, that's, I don't know if that's your German accent coming no, out there. Cannons. <laughs> and uh, as, as a kid, my parents would take uh, my family to uh, Williamsburg. I went many times uh, playing soccer as a kid. The uh, logo on our uh, jerseys and shorts were from Peter Green Limited, which is no longer in business, but uh, anybody that played... Uh, soccer in, in the area in the 80s, 70s, and 80s would remember probably the Canon logo from Peter Green. And uh, at a certain point when I was trying to figure out what I wanted as a, uh, a brand icon for the labels I was printing at home to go on the homebrew, uh, I ended up landing on the Canon and going with artillery based on the revolutionary history of the region. Uh, and uh, so then when Paul Zippel, uh Paul Zippel is a friend of mine and co-founder of the brewery. We started off uh, homebrewing together uh, and, as I said, got chased out of the kitchen and decided to, to look for a place to land. So had you not been chased out of the kitchen, would it be fair to say that you'd still be homebrewing and this would not be where it is today? I would say that's almost a guarantee. So kudos to your wife because <laughs> yeah. 
the masses wouldn't have gotten a chance to share and enjoy what you're brewing right now. It would have been a small little network of a secret. That's right. That's right. And it, uh, I, it started off just brewing for uh, neighborhood Oktoberfests. We'd get 100, 120 people coming together, and uh, we just uh, I would brew different recipes and bring them out. And at a certain point, people were saying, hey, you should really go off and, and do this as, as a possible, uh, at least a higher-end hobby, possibly a vocation. So we looked at a place down in uh, Maryland, northeast Maryland, that we were close to landing on, but zoning didn't work out, so then we decided we'd look to farm markets in the Chester County area. This was in 2019. We established the company in 2018, late 2018. And we got started up on a, a farm in the area, a revolutionary history to it. Uh, it turned out to be... Uh, far more popular than we had expected, and we outgrew the space rapidly. First time we opened, expected a few hundred people, over 1,200. Yeah, my understanding is from being here and hearing a little bit of your story, this was hugely overwhelming, wasn't it? It was extremely overwhelming, and we didn't have a big enough system for brewing with. We didn't have a big enough location. The two times we opened that tap room, we ended up 1,200 people and 1,500 people consecutive. Uh, at that point, we knew we were going to have to move. We dropped our equipment off here in uh, February of 2020, and less than a month later, the pandemic shut everything down. Uh, so we were shut, no construction through the pandemic, all the way to November of 2020. And uh, at that point, uh, started construction, and we met Sean back in, what was October or November? November 2020. November 2020. And We'd gotten to the point, uh, to your point, about things being overwhelming and me being chased out of the kitchen. The one thing that I had, although I have certainly a lot of experience in drinking beer in Europe and knowing what really good beer was about, because when I left the States, you'd get dollar pictures of Schaefer's was your, your beer of choice, and it wasn't very good. So I uh, I knew what I hey, liked. Hey, it's the beer. one beer to have when you're having more than one, yeah, right? One case, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, we, we just had decided that uh, it was going to be important for Paul and me to recognize what our limitations were. And so we started a search and we reached out to the University of Sciences. Uh, and when we were speaking with Matt Farber, who was the person that founded that... that uh, okay, so now I know how that yeast has made its way onto your tap list. Yeah. Okay, cool. I love learning more about, you know the maturation of how things come to be. That's right. neat. So when we uh, we spoke to Matt Farber, he was uh, effusive in his praise of Sean and said that uh, we should definitely reach out. So we contacted Sean and shared what our passion was, learned about Sean's passion, saw that we had very similar goals and objectives in terms of what we wanted to do. And the brand itself really offers an, an open canvas because you have an endless range of different brand names and styles that you can do. And the one thing that we really agreed upon in the very beginning, both of us really like classic styles. We're not into fads. We're not into dosing with lactose. We're not into doing things that, that really don't go with a, a meaningful historic brand. And I'll hand over to Sean. Yeah, that's a perfect segue. Yeah. Um, that it seems that you had a very high reputation for what you were doing at the university. Was there a point for you where you had gotten into home brewing as well, or how did that? How did you find your way to that? Yeah. I, Probably 99% of all professional brewers start off in their kitchen as well. So, um, yeah, home brewing, uh, working as an engineer, transitioned um, from that career, um, decided, you know what, 
really like brewing. I really want to be passionate about what I'm making. Um, and I was making beer at the time in the University of the Sciences program. And then uh, various jobs through the industry kind of led me here. Um, I'm curious about that education for you. Yeah. So I went to Johnson & Wales. I studied culinary arts. So for me, it gave me an opportunity to have a better idea of, in the food world, what I felt comfortable, what I enjoyed, the kind of food I wanted to make, the kind of experience, you know, where I wanted to be. Did you have a similar experience to that? Um, yeah, so, I mean, through homebrewing, you, you read all these blogs, and everyone's got an opinion of what makes a certain recipe work. Um, but obviously, it's, you know, these huge breweries aren't just happenstance you know, messing around in their kitchen. They, there's a science to it. It's biochemistry. Um, so I wanted to learn more on that facet and figure out, you know, how do you make a consistent beer consistently? So, yeah, uh, University of Sciences helped me do that um, with biochemistry classes, learning about, you know, the different life cycle of yeast. And it doesn't just convert sugar to alcohol and CO2. There's all these little esters and stuff that it's working on and different strains do it differently. Um, so learning about that and then also learning how all flavors come to be um, and how to prevent those so ultimately, the goal of doing all that was to land in a place where I can apply um, everything I've learned, both professionally, hobby, engineering, student-wise, to creating good beer that is consistent. So that's kind of my whole goal here, um, is to just create good beer that people can come back to time and time again and, and enjoy. It sounds like this is a really strong fit from the mindset of classic beer. Was that your same mindset as well? Yeah, and for the most part, I mean, I still, you know, I, I drink my AZ IPAs. I, I still enjoy lactose beers. Well, they're, beers. They're, on the, they're on the menu right. here. They're on the tap. Right. So, again, I mean, we talk to brewers and breweries, and look, the masses want IPAs. Right, and it's, it's they not enjoy. going anywhere. It's not just no. a fad. So no, it's, it's not. It's established itself as a... As a what people enjoy. Craft beer, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've always kind of enjoyed subtlety in beer. Um, I don't like throwing just heaps and heaps of any fruit or flavor, any one ingredient that's going to take a good beer to kind of an insane level of flavor, I, I prefer something subtle, something you can sit with and drink and really kind of think over and enjoy and um, kind of my litmus test for what makes a beer a good beer is something you can enjoy over an entire pint, not just a four-ounce pour of flight and then never come back to. Would, would you say that you have the mindset of enjoying like a rye or a bourbon? The same, in, in a way yeah, that you I don't enjoy drink, your beer? I don't drink hard liquor too often. Um, but the but, mindset is you can really go through a pour right. and pull out all different nuances yeah. or it's just fun. have it's, different it's, experiences. It's, I mean, um, it's a journey through a glass to sound really cheesy. But, no, I, uh, I think that doesn't, I think that sounds really strong yeah. and thoughtful. Yeah. Because as you said, look, I mean, if somebody comes in and they go through a pint, and it's done, and they right. go through another. That's fine. That's that's what they want to do. But then you're going to have somebody else that really wants to take their time, yeah, and and understand the character, and th and that's through your education. Right. That's really what you focused right. on, right? And some of the beers that I really admire and I love to drink are that way. They're they're subtle. They're nuanced. Um, you know, a lot of these. One of my favorite beers is Saison Dupont, and you know, they've been making that beer for. Come Mike, you're raising your hand. Is, no, I'm, I'm okay. Like in, you're down with that too. One of the first bottles we shared together. Was <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a beer. It's it's light, but it's insanely complex. But none of those complexities are overbearing. So you really can uh, spend 
whole afternoon just drinking that beer, yeah. um, which is where I kind of draw my inspirations when I'm when I'm coming up with recipes and choosing ingredients and, and figuring out the process. So it's 2020. Mm-hmm. COVID says, "Well, you're open now, but sorry." What was that experience like for you, and how have you know what have you learned from COVID? Sure. How has that impacted your business to where we are now in 2021? Sure. Uh, so that was just as with anyone in any business, whether you have a business or whether you're working for a company or you're at home, and it sent everybody into a state of fibrillation. Nobody knew what was going to happen. They didn't know how long it was going to last. Uh, in our particular case, there was a lot of uncertainty uh, and discomfort because we obviously had taken out loans, we had investment put into equipment and location, uh, and for a period of time we had a pipe dream that we were going to be opening in July, that whatever it was that was happening was going to abate quickly. It didn't, obviously, as we all know. and. Uh, so it just started stretching, and every month we'd say, all right, we're opening next month. All right, we're going to get construction next month. I know when Sean had, had joined with us, we were telling him we were going to open in uh, January of 2021, and that didn't happen. Uh, just all of the things that, that we didn't anticipate. And I know Sean, when, when he started with us, uh, probably at that, that point started to be a little concerned he was going to be more of a forklift operator than a, a brewer. I, I think in our, my first job title here was construction manager. I think <laughs> this place is a total construction site um, when I first started up. and crazy. Um, yeah, getting equipment set up in place, um, a lot of changes to the floor plan. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was an exciting four months. I, I call it the most fun I never want to have again. Yeah. Um, but you were really, you, you became immersed yeah. in, in the inception of this brewery right. and you can honestly say i mean you know part of this you know tasting room you had a hand in creating well yes. tasting room no mike well, mike was on the oh never mind room. No, you, you were you, you were in the back the, in the brewery i i tell people where the floors are blue that's what that's my jurisdiction <laughs> is so it was crucial though because what sean brought so so paul and i the co-founders we had experience brewing at a one barrel scale totally different world than trying to do it at a 10 plus barrel scale. The type of plumbing, the electric, the, the glycol, the, all of the pieces that were necessary to turn this into something at scale, if we didn't have Sean involved, this wouldn't have happened. We had to have somebody, it's Sean it, it can talk about more of his background, but it, he worked at some very large breweries and had experience in seeing how those were built out and, and that was integral for us because had we not had somebody that could step in, the, the, I mean, you could put him in the turret of an M1 Abrams tank and he would figure out how to drive it. Being a mech engineer, he has no fear of these things. And it was integral in our ability to survive and get constructed and eventually launch. That's hugely um, important because the conversation is with home brewers. Yeah. And as you're starting on those systems, yes. it's taking those recipes and scaling them and having them dialed in to that profile that you're looking for. Yeah. Because if not, you're almost just recreating the whole idea of what you're brewing. And we, had, we had brewed successfully on the one barrel scale. We had beers that were popular, uh, the Patriot, the Musket, the Cannonball, the Battle of Brandywine. They were all uh, getting good reviews, but we were quite worried about what that would look like because we knew the jump from homebrew to one barrel. A number of the things that had gone really well at homebrew 
it took us several iterations before at the one barrel they were coming out as we wanted. And even then, a couple of them didn't come out quite the way that we wanted. So when it came time to make a selection, we knew that we needed somebody that had an understanding of the science, that also had the creative side of things. Because that's one of the fun things when, when Sean and I and Paul, we, we riff back and forth on ideas, improvements that he wants to make to recipes. that We had him ideating totally new recipes. All of that trying to figure out how to get it to fit into the brand has been a lot of fun. It's, it's been the, the organic part of the business is, is really on the fly. We say, hey, we've got something that's a, a style that we haven't done. There's interest out of the market. We've, we each had a, a beer of this style. Why don't we take a crack at it? And the, the cool thing with the brand is, and we could talk a little bit more afterwards. Uh, I'm going to let Sean talk a little bit more about his brewing background. But the brand itself, um, it's, it's funny. We've started to see ourselves as beer activists. We look at beer activists. So, beer will there be signs and protests or nope. rallies? What, what no, is, as a beer activist, what are you doing? It's advocating for a knowledge of uh, and an awareness of American history in its colonial revolutionary roots. There's so much history for that sitting here in this region. And uh, there are museums, historic societies, parks, battlefield parks. So many of them don't get enough visitation. Uh, especially after the pandemic, there's there's quite a crisis in, in budgets in a lot of them. And in fact, we have a, a series of beers that we do called the Battlefield Series. And the concept of the Battlefield Series is people love beer. They also love a really good cause. And if you can tie that together for the sustainment of American history through those suffering museums and battlefield parks, everybody wins. So we have a beer that we're launching actually at our October. Uh, September 11th race, the Cannonball Run, which is going to happen in the borough here. It's a 5K run and a one-mile walk. Uh, we are doing that in uh, support of Wounded Warrior, and we will be launching that day, relaunching our first Battlefield Series beer, which is called the Battle of Brandywine, which is a Belgian dark strong, which is fermented with red wine must and Belgian dark chocolate. And that first beer, the Battle of Brandywine, as we sell that beer, we will be remitting 10% of the profits. That's awesome. To the Battle I mean, that Park. beer sounds amazing. Yeah. And just, here's what is exciting for me. And to recognize for what you both are doing, and Paul as well, people make beer. Yeah. People create, you create the story. You, you start with a clean slate, but you have a history, you have an interest. Cannons and battles and history and all those things when you come here to artillery, you're going to drink some really great beer. You're going to have beer that's flavorful and have, has character and nuances we've talked a little bit about. But you're also going to get an understanding of history. And that's the fun of if you, if you enjoy going to breweries or whatever your thing is, when you start to get introduced to the people behind it, you have, if you're open, you got, you got the mess tent here, which is your kitchen. You know, you've got so much. I can't wait one day where you're starting to shoot off cannons in the barrel, and that I'm sure, Mike, you're working on that. But we are. I, I, what, that resonates with me. The the whole thing about what you're doing to recognize the history of the area, so that people appreciate where where we come from. Right. As you talk about, we're in the Philadelphia region. Beer and different types of spirits were very prevalent going back to colonial times. We talked about the idea that sometimes it was safer and cheaper to drink beer or something else, and it was water. Yeah. And I say that, water. So 
But what I'm saying at that point is that you really have a, you know, if you take on that advocacy part, I think that's wonderful. And when people come in, they're not just going to get a pint. They're not just going to flight. They're going to get so much more. And that's all. And, and great food, too. Justin's back there, and he's making some awesome pizza and, and just some amazing foods. So when people come in to visit our location, they're going to notice that they're not just stepping into a microbrewery. They're stepping back in time. We designed this tap room to give you the feeling of being outdoors while you're indoors. So the ceilings are painted with a, a sky blue. We've got suspended uh, sound clouds that are to help uh, deal with some of the bouncing that happens in a tall ceiling location. Uh, and then the kitchen is built to look like a mess tent, which is designed off of some of the images of uh, Washington's encampment uh, uh, buildings that they had at Valley Forge. So everything that we have here, down to the finishes on the bars, we've uh, burned in with branding irons, our, our logo and our cannon. So there's just something in every little detail. It's very Disney-esque, Mike. I mean, every <laughs> little nuance. And did you say that? I mean, is that something you guys have talked about before? I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it. I don't think Disney came to mind. But yeah, fully immersive. <laughs> okay. and But what you're really saying is, hey, our guest experience is important. Right down to every detail. Yes. And when they come in here, you want them to feel like they just stepped off of, you know, Westchester Main Street, USA, into more of a colonial era. I mean, other than the metal pans and, yeah. you know, the tin cups. But that experience is important for you. Well, one of the things that we take pride in as well as part of the experience is our menu, our beer menu. When uh, customers are, are choosing their beer, they're reading history about the beer because every beer's name we choose specifically for that beer we choose a style that we think will fit with that beer and when we do our write-up we talk about why the name chosen was relevant or important to the revolutionary war it could be a person it could be a location it could be a weapon type it could be something that had relevance to that time and we explain how it's relevant and we always dovetail towards the end back to the notes about the beer. Right, here's what we're going to do. When we taste your beer, yeah. we're going to go down that whole trail with each of the beer sure. we try. How's that? Absolutely. Now, Sean, talk about, you know, Mike had talked a little about, I mean, I can, I can really, I can see the respect that he has for you and just the admiration, I think, in what you do day to day to help impact right. artillery. Right. Talk about your experiences as becoming the brewer that you are and you know the some of the path that you took to get there. Um, yeah, so like I said, home brewing, new sciences. Um, I interned at Yards at their Spring Garden facility. Um, went to Forgotten Boardwalk for a couple of years. A smaller brewery in Cherry Hill. No, Jackson. that's a great that's um, a great brewery and, and I can't wait now that COVID has kind of taken they have a great um, boardwalk ambiance inside, yeah. which because of COVID, it kind of was diminished a lot. Right. And, and they had, I, I think, ski ball in the back. Yeah. And yeah. it They're really has Amy and Mike, I think, have a lot of similarities in kind of how they drive their brand, where um, you know, Taproom is immersive and beer and styles and beer descriptions and names and everything fit a brand. And I really came to enjoy working at a place like that. So coming here at Artillery was kind of a natural fit based on my time there. Um, and I also learned a lot. Most of what I know about brewing professionally, I own there um, with the, the other brewers and stuff, Evan and George. Um, we had a great time just riffing, coming up with recipes, and um, we afford a lot of creative freedom um, 
which was a lot of fun. So that was kind of where I kind of cut my Before teeth. we go a little bit farther than that, I have a question, though. Yeah. If you're a chef and you work in the kitchen and, you know, there's a signature dish right. on the menu or a couple of things, but let's say, understand that chefs travel, they go from restaurant to restaurant, right. and they tend to take those recipes with them. Right. I've never had this conversation with brewers, but do you take some of those same formulations and recipes with you and redo them? And I think that's I think that's a compliment rather than saying, oh, you stole our recipe. Yeah, I mean, they, they say imitation is the sincerest form of life. I, I kind of, I never took a written down recipe from anywhere I've worked, um, but you brew it up here enough time, you kind of know what goes into it. And this being my first head brewer role, I've been able to kind of tweak recipes that I've made in the past that, yeah, I wanted to add my little creative. You put your own it. stamp on that. Right. So tweaking things a little bit in, in the way that I would like the beer to taste. Um, nothing wrong with any of the beers I made previously, but kind of wanted to leave my own little DNA in it um, from my own personal taste. So um, yeah, every beer that you're drinking here was probably inspired in some way by every other beer I've ever made or ever drank, um, in addition to Mike's own recipes. Um, and the beers that I, I, I grew uh, very fond of Belgian beer when I lived yeah. in Germany and England. And I, I traveled to Belgium regularly. And uh, I knew that one day, and funny to tie in the, the way that the idea of a brewery came about, when I lived in Munich, I worked uh, for a venture capital shop. And there was a, a friend and colleague of mine who was a couple years younger than me. I was in my mid-20s. And... Uh, he had uh, held for me for quite a while the fact that he grew up uh, as part of German royalty and his family had been brewing beer in Ellingen outside of uh, Nuremberg uh, for over 400 years and uh, so when we drove through and he showed me his parents uh, house which was a castle uh, he brought me to their family brewery and as I walked through that brewery I was just blown away and I came away from that saying I don't know when but one day I want to try to open a brewery. That was your inspiration at that moment. That was it. I, I think, you know, just as a side, sitting down and having this, you know, international brewing beer experience with you, yeah. Mike, would be a whole different podcast. Yeah. Um, and and, and it, that, that's fascinating. That really is. And and just how that, that, impre- that, that impression was for you mm-hmm. that brought you to where you are today. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of fun. And one of the things that, that right away when Sean and Paul and I were talking on the phone, actually we were doing a Zoom as everybody was back then, but uh, we were doing a Zoom interview, kind of getting to know each other. One of the things that I think we all stacked hands on was we said, at no point do you ever put a product that you're not absolutely thrilled with out. If a batch gets in any way compromised, you dump it. And or send it to a distillery and let them make <laughs> a whiskey out of it. Yeah, it's not a co- bad idea. It's All right, so there are quite a few in the... Uh, so I only say that because selfishly, I enjoy whiskeys made out of beer. Uh-huh. So I'll put you in touch with some of the distilleries if yeah, you're not yeah. familiar with them. And sure. we can we can distill that and call it the fermented adventure mistake or something. Which, I don't know, <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. So that's my selfish part. I... You know, some of the ones that have come out, some of the, you know, those mistakes turn out. And then what happens is you stick that in a barrel and then you guys get your barrel back. Sure. And then you guys can bounce that back and forth all the time. Yeah. yeah. So that's my little plug for if yeah. I'm sure, Sean, mistakes don't happen too often. No, they yeah. do. They do. Oh, they do. All right. We're, we're going to get some people on the phone. You don't trick them, though. You don't yeah. trick them. No, you, we're going to get some people know. on the phone. We're going to start making stuff happen with okay. you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question and a couple questions. I don't want to leave Forgotten Boardwalk. Was that... 
Was that where you were before you came here? Or um, with the I other? left Forgotten Boardwalk um, last summer. Uh, briefly went to Victory in Downingtown. Gotcha. Um, and then around the time, um, I was very new there still. And then Mike and Paul got in touch. And I was like, you know what? This is kind of rather what I'd be doing. Um, I'd rather kind of be the brewer of a small place as opposed to a large production brewery. Um, and then it was time for you. Yeah, it was the moment. It was also a huge leap of faith on Sean's part, and we, we don't lose sight of that. I mean, yeah. we were moving from a farm. We had a, a little bit of a reputation in the area, which was nice. I mean, people knew about us, and the reviews were good. But we were just coming through a pandemic. We were a construction site. He he really took a big leap, and that kind of gave us a shot in the arm as well. Because you know, at the same time that. As a brewery, you want people to have confidence in you. As a brewery owner, you want the people that are going to be driving your brand forward with this product, who you believe in, to believe in you. It's, well, let me ask you a question, because I, I see cans, and I see a whole refrigeration system. Yeah. Were you able to sell anything prior to the big opening for you, or did you really, you had nothing coming in other than just setting everything up and painting the floor? Yeah, I think we did, um, right around the time all our licenses cleared, probably in February. Our license actually cleared March 17th, okay. St. Patrick's. Um, of 2021. 2021. Okay. Um, we did a contract batch with Stolen Sun up at Exton, right? Exton. Mm-hmm. Um, Great were, friends of ours, Stolen um, Sun are awesome. A 20 barrel batch of the Patriot, just to kind of get a new resurgence of our beer out there um, with the intention of having it for the Kennet Winterfest, um, but then also when we open day one, have something that people can take to go, especially with um, COVID restrictions still being really heavy. Um, in case we had to turn people away because we're at capacity, which ended up happening, yeah. we could send people away with beer um, even though they couldn't come in and have a seat in the right. tap room. It was, it was tough. So to, to your point, we were not generating revenue through the whole time of the pandemic. If, if we had somehow managed to get constructed and built, there was a point in time when you could start to, it was considered essential. Right. <laughs> you had breweries that were... Beer was, you know, beer was considered essential fairly early. Beer, distilled spirits, you know, that industry was given, you know, freedom to yeah. move about the cabin as long as you were During the pandemic. putting it in back of somebody's car. Craft, craft brewing industry grew significantly yes. during the pandemic because people were buying product uh, to go and they were drinking it at home. In our case, uh, we did not unfortunately get to, to partake in that. We had to wait until we got all of our licensing done. Uh, Department of Agriculture, Health Department, uh, Pennsylvania Liquor Control. So all those things kind of rolled in right around the same time and it enabled us to have our uh, soft open was on the 3rd of April and then the, the grand open was on April 9th and we've had really great response. Uh, we've had a lot of people in the neighborhood come through. We've started to increase our advertising. We have a lot of friends in the brewing industry. As I mentioned, Stolen Son were awesome. Jonathan Zangwo uh, really helped us out a ton. Chris Preston, uh, who's his head brewer, who uh, went to the same program that Sean did. Uh, they got us in there to do some collaborative brewing of our recipes on their equipment, which, as Sean pointed out, allowed us to have packaged product that we could sell right away. Uh, we also have had a great relationship next door with Ron Crowd Brewing Company. Uh, Dan Shaw. Yeah, they're another great uh, brewing company, and this is what's nice about Westchester. Yep. You've got this little um, destination, yeah. you know, craft brewing yeah. industry going. Right. 
and for you know, in little area, I mean, this is exciting. This is fun. It is, and, and there's such and a, great food here too. This is really you become a little destination area. Yeah, right. and it's uh, and we do things. Uh, some overlap, but some different. And, yeah. and Wrong Crowd does really good IPAs, sours. I also love their Pilsner, uh, and so. At the same time, we're, we've done a collaboration group together. We will do more together when we do this Cannonball Run. We're going to uh, get them involved as one of the sponsors. And uh, th there is very much a high tide raising all ships kind of a mindset, which has, at the same time, we always had believed and hoped in that. It, it's really borne its its way out in relationships that have been, I think, beneficial to all parties. And it's it's been really reaffirming of the decision to, to take this big risk and to do this. I mean, during the pandemic, you wouldn't necessarily look at it and say, this is a great time to start a new brewery. And not necessarily that we chose it that way. We'd already started it before the pandemic, but uh, we survived. We survived through it. And in terms of what it's done to our perspective, it makes us focused on uh, the experience on quality, on staying consistent. It's one of the reasons why we want to make sure that we have uh, an experience facet for every different person that comes into the location. We're not just going to be a hazy IPA shop. We're not just Belgians. We're not just Germans. We do a blend of all of them, and the focus is that anything that we do, anything that we're going to put our cannon seal on... Yep, when final, your name goes on it... It's going to be the best that we can do. Well, let's do this. We're going to take a break, and we're going to talk some of your beer, experience that, when we come back after the break. Cool, cool. Great. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, brewskits, your dog will go wild. Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-D.com. We are back, and I am freaking excited about the lineup, Sean, that you poured for us. This is going to be the most interesting, intense beer tasting I think I've ever done because there's so much information and just from the beginning what we talked about about your history your background your education and Mike you're going to come in with a description for every beer as we go Sean let's let's not waste any time what is the first beer we're going to try that you guys produce so first we're sipping is is our hazy um kind of mentioned earlier we, we make um it's called the Fog of War. Uh, I'll let Mike delve into the name. You said the Fog of War. The Fog of the War. The Fog of War. Maybe now. it's probably fitting if you do the description first. Because okay. a lot of it, the naming is derived from the history. And then, um, like Mike said, he likes to segue really seamlessly into the beer tasting notes. So well, I'll tell you what. Well, Mike, I get the, be the, the pleasure and benefit while you're giving all the tasting notes and yep. or the I'm going to just keep nosing this awesome because this is awesome so when you look on our website or you come in as a visitor into the into the tap room when you look at the menu you're going to get uh, a narrative written up with a bit of history about the beer and its namesake and a segue between what the beer is and its namesake. So let me explain to you the one that we have for the Fog of War, which is a New England-style IPA at 6.5% alcohol. Prussian military analyst Karl von Clausewitz spoke of the Fog of War in 1832. The phrase has come to represent the perceptual fog which a soldier may experience in battle, making it difficult to determine battlefield bearing. Thick clouds looming from black powder-loaded weaponry during the Revolutionary War most likely added a physical dimension to this phenomenon which obscured a soldier's view. 
the fog of war IPA imbues the same sense of opacity owing to its hefty haze contributed by its hop-induced thick pineapple aromas and murky golden orange glow. Brewer's Notes, double dry hopped with Triumph and Azaka to offer sweet orange, pineapple and melon on both the nose and the palate. Wow. Yeah. A history lesson. Oh my God. But not only that, I mean, you should read for audiobooks. (laughs) That is amazing. I can't now. Now I'm sorry. We only picked four. I want to hear them all. It would be a three-hour podcast. No, it would. We it. So, so we'll have to come back and we'll highlight the next ones. Right. So, this was this was nice. This I got the the melon. I got the orange. I got the pineapple. This was like a burst of pineapple. This yeah. is like the minute I put this on my nose, it's as if when you make that first cut into right. pineapple, right. it just the, the the oils and everything just explodes. But you get that citrus, and there's a little spicy note to this. And is that coming out of the hopper, or is there something that's... Um, most likely. So I was pretty intentional with using Triumph and Azaka in this beer. Um, two apps I've used prior um, in brewing that I really like. Um, but they're not as popular. I mean, every juicy tropical IPA hop is popular, but I don't really see these two highlighted as much in, in beers. So I really wanted to highlight them in our hazy just to try and give us a little bit of separation from the field. Um, it's, uh, there's no um, artificial sweetness in it. It's the body's coming from mash chemistry, um, some flaked oats, um, but there's no lactose in it, but it does have a little bit of residual sweetness left over from the fermentation. Um, um, it's palatable, but what I really like about it is um, those aromas that you were talking about. You, you pour it out and it is just... Um, Sean, you, 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 you knocked this one out of the park, cool. and you, this yeah, is this yeah. is great. And while you're, I get the benefit of tasting this and nosing this again. Yeah. I almost, you know, when you, you know, orange marmalade, it, yeah. it comes off, but yeah. you don't get that that sticky sweetness. It just that goes away, and then you get this just very essence of citrus yeah. on the palate. Yeah, to me, it's um, a lot of orange creamsicle as well, um, which I think is that triumph. Um, the pineapple, I think, is the Zaka, but the Triumph really, you open up a bag of that, and it is like orange sherbet, orange creamsicle, uh, which uh, you get a lot of that flavor um, when you're drinking it, and it's uh, it's refreshing. Um, I think people who enjoy hazy IPAs, I think this will be right up there. Allie. I am on the beach with this. Okay. I am yeah. on a yeah. tropical environment with this, yeah. and this is just a wonderful beer. Right. Right. If and this is the first one we get to try, you, you really set the bar high. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> I, we'll I mean, between Mike's narration and your beer, yeah. I, you guys should just have your own, you know, TV show or yeah. something. Well, at this what's, point. what's nice is this is a beer we do can. Um, we'll be canning it later next week. Um, and the description that Mike read aloud is going to be on the can. So when you take this beer to go, um, you can inform yourself as you read your can, as you sip. Um, really kind of going back to that immersive experience. Um, Is there a disclaimer on the can that, you know, the, the, the character disclaimer, that uh, the fictitious characters and any likeness to this is... No, uh, in fact, we, we, especially if we're representing things that we've researched, we want people to know about it. So the gentleman that you mentioned at the beginning, I apologize, I don't Carl remember... Carl Klausowitz. That's an actual... Yeah. That is somebody. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, everything is... Carl is von Klausowitz. Yeah. yeah. Is a Prussian military uh, advisor. Scholar, yes. All right, so I am getting 
beer history, beer knowledge, war, war history, war knowledge. Just we're gonna have to recategorize the podcast under history now. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. Glad you like it. Where are we moving to next? So I'm gonna finish mine, and then we'll talk about the next one. I may save a little bit of this. Would you yeah. do that or not? Up to you. It's it's your beer. All right, you're the one drinking it. I'm not gonna. There's no rules around the. How you enjoy your beer. Okay. Um, the next we're going to do is the brown bess. Gotcha. Uh, I'll let Mike read the description and then I'll talk. So just a precursor here. When we also were talking with Sean, very beginning, uh, one of the things that he requested when we started <laughs> off is he said, I want to be able to make a proper English brown. He said people don't make these properly. There aren't a lot of them out there. I would say properly, but they're not a well-represented beer. Not- all right, let me ask you a question. In your in your foresight or your thought process, what is, and we're going to taste it, we're going to try it, but what is the proper brown that you're focusing on? Or- um, to me, it's, it's light in alcohol. It's fairly light in body. Um, has a lot of complexity derived from the malt. But it's a beer that you can drink um, in a pub on a rainy Sunday watching... Soccer, soccer? <laughs> or footy on, on, uh, on the screen. So it's, okay. it's one of those beers that um, sessionable, um, but again, what does that mean? Sessionable? A beer you can drink four or five of in an afternoon, okay. and not have it totally obliterate your day. Um, so you can work heavy machinery a little later. Well, on I wouldn't recommend that. But yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah essentially, um, yeah, go go watch a game, hang out with some buddies. Um, drink a bunch of these and then I don't know, go do yard work or something. Not on the lawnmower, but not the lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe a weed wagon. I don't know. So, <laughs> maybe just shovel some mulch. So the properly may have been my word. Okay, and that's because I was never a brown ale fan. I am now. Okay, I I am going to assume that the reason that I didn't like brown ales before to me they were kind of thin or cardboardy. They they didn't tend to have the the essence that I would enjoy sitting and drinking. I like brown ales now. I am excited to know the description of this brown ale. Yep. So, the Brown Bass, English brown ale, 5.1% alcohol by volume. British forces in the American Revolution used a muzzle-loaded musket that stayed in service for over a hundred years with the moniker Brown Bess, which had a long throw capability ranging between 100 and 300 meters and unleashing its shot at speeds of 400 to 550 meters per second. The Brown Bass English Brown Ale also goes down quick with smooth, rich flavor that reflects the time-honored craft of the famed English musket. Sadly for the British, they lost the war, but it wasn't any fault of the Bass. Brewer's notes, biscuity and toasty, with elements of rich coffee, chocolate notes, brown and full-bodied, despite its light alcohol content. First of all, I have to thank the powers that be for the lightning and thunder that's happening and that perfect timing on the thunder. But the narration, spot on. I mean, that's the first thing. The the chocolate notes, the the, the nuttiness of this, the creaminess of this. Um, And if this is what a proper brown ale is, using your words, Mike, I'm a big fan when I was here the last time I tried this and this was part of what I enjoyed and I said I think this was the first thing I, I had and I said wow if this is the beginning 
I can't wait to enjoy more of your beers, but this is just delicious. It's tremendous. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. It's actually super fitting that it is pouring outside right now. I mentioned this beer goes west, our best on a... On a rainy Sunday. Well, you said Sunday, but yeah. Well, it's Tuesday. That's fine. Um, But yeah, it's it's fitting for looking out the window right now, and I just want to curl up and and just keep drinking this. Yeah. That's fine. um, Yeah, I mean, this is... You keep brewing it, we'll keep drinking it. Cool, cool. Yeah, everyone, go drink more brown ale so I can keep making it. This is probably my favorite beer to, to make because this is one of my like OG homebrewing recipes that I tweaked for a really long time to kind of get where it is now. Um, it's all English malts from England. Um, I think Crisp is primarily um, the malt supplier uh, for this. Um, English um, ale yeast, um, but it's got a lot of little spritzes of specialty malt. There's some victory in there. There's... Um, a little bit of Chevrolet, which is a heritage English malt, um, just to kind of give it that complexity, that subtletiness. Um, is that a word? Subtletiness. Um, it is now. Cool. Subtletiness. Um, but yeah, something that you can drink a whole pint of, and the entire pint is going to be, um, you're going to be discovering new things, little tasting notes that you're you're finding as you drink more of these, and then probably again when you drink your second, your third, your fourth. Um, which is kind of what I designed this beer to be. Um, to session. your point, again, I'm listening and enjoying your description of what your expression is. I get the same thing with the IPA we just tried. You take us up to this point where you're expecting, like, I, I feel like the experience I'm having with your beer right now is getting in a roller coaster, the anticipation. You start to experience going up the big hill. Right. And you're ready to drop down, and it just settles out nice and comfortably, and you're not freaked out. And what I mean to say by that is that with this one, I got this really dark chocolate note to it, and I was waiting for the rest of that dark chocolate note, and it pulled back. And I love that. that. It left me with more of an experience, and then I was getting these little hints of bitterness, and, and maybe you can explain more to me what that bitterness at the um, end is a it, little bit. It may be a little bit from the hops. I mean, it's, it's uh, English Kent Goldings, um, which isn't a very bitter hop anyway. Um, but there's, you know, a little bit of hop bitterness just to kind of balance out the sweetness. Um, this, for beer. me, is like drinking black coffee okay. Okay. at the end. Okay. okay. And just how that lingers. Yeah. For me, yeah. I always, you know, I, I drink my coffee like it's a dessert beverage. Yeah. But I love the way... It just sits there almost as if you're enjoying a really nice, mellow cigar. Okay. Yeah. I would say mellowness is probably a good word for this beer. Um, you know, there's there's no roasted barley in it. Um, so any astringency um, is, is really, it's really not there. What um, I find so interesting about this beer is it is a whole tongue experience. Yeah. There's certain beers that will hit parts of the tongue, front, sides, or back. This hits all three. I mean, you're getting front sides and back in every sip. Mike, I'm so glad that you introduced that. And, you know, now thinking about that exactly as you said it, yes, that's my experience as well. That's awesome. Yeah, it's got a little bit of body, but... I can't wait to try some of your mistakes. I really can't. Uh, I mean, don't worry, you are. never will. You never will. <laughs> you never will. Nobody, nobody else will. Nobody either. tries the mistake. <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, the next is the howitzer. Yep. Take it away, Mike. 
So the howitzer is a Belgian strong Saison ale at 8.2% alcohol. Mike will, will, Mike will also um, record your outgoing voicemail message if you uh, pay him for doing that. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. The howitzer. The howitzer cannons of the Revolutionary War were a mix between a mortar and a cannon in terms of size and length of the barrel, with a much shorter but wider diameter barrel than a typical cannon. The name howitzer came from the Prussian or German word howitzer. The howitzer's relatively diminutive size belied its true lethality, with its capability of firing explosive-filled shells with a lit fuse that could deliver a shower of fiery metal downfield that made them a fearsome part of the revolutionary arsenal. Brewer's notes, smooth, phenolic Belgian essences, pair with a modest booziness, modestly sweet, lightly malty, light orange-colored liquid, that hides its strength, but at 8.2% ABV, this strong ale packs a punch. On the nose, I get pumpkin. I get I get like this pumpkin spice to it, and I get orange notes to it. Um, and that's what lingers with me, like clove. Yeah. Right? That's that's probably the, the Belgian Cezanne yeast. Um, now, when I, when I drink this, I get a lot of strawberry. Um, to me, I don't know if you've ever gotten like a carton of strawberries from the grocery store and you accidentally eat one of the leaves to me that kind of herbaceousness of that leaf comes through in this beer a little I bit I am too. going to do that next time well, don't, I would do it on purpose but when it, <laughs> next time it happens maybe I think of this beer but, but you know this is why I want to talk with you because this is your vision what you want to have produced on the, the flavor palette right. this is what you want to express yeah. Yeah. hearing what what you wanted to have come out of this I get that strawberryness, or I, I would have said, you know, fruitiness. Right. But going even deeper, I, my first thought maybe is raspberry. Yeah, berries, some kind berry, of berry, something like that. Um, it's hard for me sometimes to actually put what I'm tasting into words, um, and I kind of just sometimes just try and just grab at something that's close and then let it evolve from there. I almost get like a fruity pebble note on this. Okay. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Because I think a lot of these flavors is gum. yeast dried. So this is a very simple Yeah, bubble beer. gum. It's, yeah. um, it's Belgian Pilsner malt. Um, a lot of wheat. Um, there's a little bit of crystal malt in there just to give it a little residual sweetness um, for how strong the beer is. It's 8.2, 8.5, somewhere. 8.2. 8.2. This has, I mean, you get a little bit more kick on this. There's there's some boozy warmth to it. Yeah. It's, it's something where you drink one and, yeah, you, you feel your, your stomach warm up and um, you get that kind of happy feeling in you. So it's... I almost feel, and, and this will be my education and you can tell me, but I do get a little bit of a whiskey essence to this. And okay. that's because just the way the flavor profile runs sure. along my palate yeah. and where it settles. And this is not an aged beer by any means. No, and maybe no. you can tell me where I'm getting maybe like an oaky characteristic on the finish or woody, woody characteristic. Um, maybe, maybe it's from that Belgian Pilsner malt. Maybe it's um, because I'm using a higher end. It might be um, a flavor derived from there. Um, I would almost love to pair this with like a, a, a rye, a high okay. rye, okay. Okay. Um, and or a, a bourbon, yeah, and and just see how that just brings up an idea because I've not seen too many breweries do this, right. where you do you know pairings with a beer and a bourbon or a whiskey or a rye, yeah, and just as you go back and forth in your palate, like I went back after we did the brown bess. 
and went back to the IPA. And it just, that, that pineapple, again, yeah. just exploded yeah. because my palate had changed. It's a really cool way to taste beer is to kind of shock your palate. Yeah. So drink um, two totally different beers back to back, but then go back. Um, and you get this, you'll find new flavors that you didn't notice before because your palate was so conditioned to the last beer you just had. Um, I get a little cocoa, but it just comes and goes. It's yes. just there. It's like that powdery. Okay. If you just opened up that uh, Hershey's, you, you, you lifted that metal, the old metal top, and it popped, and you got okay. that yeah. powder that kind of came in, and it just came and went away. What I really love about your beers is exactly how you talked about them, Sean, that you want to go through and drink and taste yeah. and get the nuance, and this is exactly what you're going to have. Right. You, you did not disappoint. You did not over... You didn't create this over expectation of what your beers were going to be. You 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 were really on on point with that. Yeah, no, and, and I don't think there's any wrong tasting notes. I think everyone perceives what they taste a little differently, and I, I give the tasting notes to kind of steer people a little bit of a direction if they're trying to select a beer. Hey, this is what you might taste in it. If you like these flavors, this is the beer for you. But that nuance that I talked about, um, it's going to be different for everybody. So as you're drinking a pint or a town sort of this. Pint might be a little too much, but um, yeah, you're gonna find a pint, two ten ounces, whichever way you okay, want to go. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> day you want to have now it. you see why we fell in love with Sean. I can see that because there's this combination of creativity and the focus on the science. There's a dedication to process and to craft, and that comes across in every beer that you drink. That explains the anklet that you have on now that you really can't leave the building oh, without. Yes. <laughs> I live far enough away where I can uh, separate can myself. Separate. I, can, okay. yeah. I can go home on the weekends and, and know the beer. Oh, oh good behavior. That's right, good. Right, right. What's our fourth beer that we're going to try? What's the fourth do, expression? This is um, a beer from our Agent X series, um, which Mike can give the full background on. But this is Agent X 002, um, a tart, hazy IPA. Mike, talk about a little bit before you go into that description. What is the Agent What's the Agent series? How did that come about? Yes. So the Agent series, and it's actually part of the, the write-up here, uh, the Agent series is our opportunity to innovate uh, new recipes. Uh, it's tough to come up with a new style, but you can certainly create hybrids. There are things that you can take as influences from different styles and try to achieve something that's at least a nuanced step change different from other things that might be out there. And part of this is... Certainly on our small one-barrel system, which we brought over from the farm, we can be doing small batch release of limited-release type beers, things that are done for a specific event or a specific initiative. Uh, but as well, we can test out certain beers that, that we just want to see how this works. We want to see if we like it. If we like it in, in the back of house, it'll make its way to the front of house, but it will never go into can. It'll never go into distribution. It'll only be available here in the tap room. What it gives us is an opportunity to collect advanced intelligence on, uh, on <laughs> so, the market. So that, that series was George Washington Spies? Yeah. This is that's the first thing I thought about. Yeah, that this exactly. is your spy series. Yes. You're going out to see you, you know it. what what the yeast is doing, what the hops is doing, yep. what the barley's doing, then you're bringing back that intelligence. Right. So here is the write up. Agent Agent X002 X002. Tart Hazy IPA 6.6% ABV. During the revolution, gathering intelligence was General George Washington's top priority defeating the British and their proxies 
then staying abreast, if not ahead of, enemy plans, troop movements, and supply line logistics. Due to the distance and secrecy, and the inability to meet in person, Washington instructed the spies in his intelligence operation to use a form of clear, invisible chemical ink made of ferrous sulfate and water to be read over a flame or by wiping with sodium carbonate, an 18th century technique of placing notes in between lines of another letter, thereby making the secret contents accessible only by those who knew it was there. Our new Agent X002 Tart Hazy IPA would certainly meet with Washington's approval. Looking at a full glass of the bright yet totally opaque orange liquid, you expect a fruity sweet explosion, but hidden inside is the bright tartness of Philly's own Philly sour yeast and the hop punchiness of an IPA. Brewer's Notes, brewed with barley, wheat and oats, and hopped with citra and mosaic to create a buffet of sugars and oils for the famous Philly sour yeast to consume and create a tart and refreshing experience of sugared grapefruit, mango pith, and a hint of classic lemon-lime sports, sports drink. I get, and as you're reading that and I'm nosing this, I get like a tasty cake lemon pie okay. on yeah. the nose. Yeah. Um, I'm also getting this tartiness to that, right. but there seems to be some sort of mint that comes off okay. on the nose. You're not the first person to tell me that. Okay. I, I don't detect the mint. All right, that's fine. It's not there, though. But here's from my experience. And again, this is, I, you, you could, and I'm loving this for me yeah. because I'm learning more about hops yeah. and what you're doing and understanding the citra hops, the mosaic hops, right. characteristics that are lending to the beer that we're drinking now. Right. What would be the nose that would be imparted? What would be the flavor? Um. Yeah, I mean, Citra and Mosaic are probably the two most popular. I hear people say you yeah, use that all the time. Chances are, if you're drinking some kind of American IPA, you've got one of those two hops, if not both, in it. Um, for that reason, I didn't use either of them in Fog of War, because I wanted to try and separate ourselves a little bit. Um, but with this beer, just it being experimental series, it's two hops I'm very familiar with. I kind of knew what character they would lend. This was a, a beer that I really wanted to see, what would the yeast do? Um, See how that would play. Now talk about the yeast a little bit. Talk about it's a sour yeast. Um, yeah, so really sour. Um, it's a yeast discovered, um, a wild yeast discovered in a graveyard in West Philly, um, near the campus of the And University this is of Mike Farber. This Pat is Farber. Pat Farber. Pat Farber. Pat Farber. Is the, uh, yep. Director of the University of Sciences Brewing. This is his program. thing. I mean, this, this yeah, is. This, so this, he um, loves the yeast. Part of the program was to go out and harvest wild yeast. Um, so. Brewer's yeast is a very niche yeast species, but there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands, hundreds of thousands of yeast species out there that can all ferment in some, some way. Um, most of them are insuitable for brewing beer, um, but this program or this exercise in the lab was to try to see or try to show how you can harvest yeast and prove if it's suitable for beer fermentation. And... Uh, a year prior to when I did the program at U-Sciences, they found this yeast um, through the same exercise. Um, they found that it, it fermented um, sugar into alcohol suitably, but also creates lactic acid during fermentation, which is super unique. The, the sourness that you get in a lot, of, a lot of beers comes from lactic acid. You can get that from um, lactobacillus, um, pedococcus, two different bacteria strains that produce lactic acid. You can add lactic acid on your own. Uh, you can kettle sour, which is using that bacteria in your kettle. Um, or, um, thanks to this Philly sour yeast and a couple other strains out there now, 
Um, you can pitch your yeast like you normally would, um, and the beer will sour in the fermenter. And what I really like about it is you get really cool fruity characteristics inherent from the yeast um, doing its natural fermentation, but it doesn't create an overly sour beer. It's not like eating like a mouth or a handful of warheads. It's not mouth puckering. It's tart. It's refreshing, um, which kind of goes back to my whole mantra of, of nuance and subtlety. You can drink a whole pint of this, and it's not going to give you heartburn. It's not going to wreck your palate. It's going to be refreshing on a hot Saturday like we had over the weekend. You could drink these, and um, it will taste really, really good. Do you feel, and I'm listening, and I'm enjoying your description and, and discussing this, do you feel that this specific yeast gives a place where this becomes a Philly style or a Philadelphia style IPA? I hope so. I mean, I, I hope that this puts the, this, this is unique. You know, no other region has this. Philadelphia has this. Yeah. Thankfully, to what U Science is doing, and I'm sure there's more that's right. going to come from there. Yeah. But doesn't this give? the spot on the map to say, all right, we got our West Coast IPA, we got your New England style IPA, and now we've got our Philly style. If you want to use this yeast, this is a characteristic of what a Philadelphia style beer yeah, is going I mean, to be. The, the, the yeast was found in the city, uh, right in West Philly. So, um, Wasn't it a, a cemetery? A or cemetery yeah. Right, yeah, okay. Um, right away when I heard that, I'm like, okay, we need to brew it. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to want graveyard beer. Can we do this as a Halloween thing? Um, yeah, there's nothing spooky about it. <laughs> no, nothing spooky. Um, nothing scary. This is yeah, delicious. I mean, I mean, this is a, a yeast that you can buy from yeast purveyors. So this, this yeast is available nationwide. Um, but I, I but really if they do, do they have to say Philadelphia style. Yeah, I, mean, I really hope this is good for the Philadelphia beer scene. It's, it's a city with a huge, long list of brewing history. Um, there's a lot of present, really, really good craft brews in Philadelphia, so... Hopefully, um, the use of this yeast and its growing popularity um, will attract more people to drink beer here, more breweries to open up here, and just kind of create um, make Philadelphia another great beer city, which um, we're on the outskirts, but I live in Philadelphia, so I really do want to see this area um, become a beer destination like a couple other cities. Well, I think if you and Artillery keep doing what you're doing, it lens to do that yeah. and that's important because you're looking at and Mike you said it earlier all you know the rising tide lifts all boats now what I see is tomorrow is really only your second month anniversary right. but if you're coming to artillery you get the experience of this being open for two years mm-hmm. yeah or because and I think this goes from your brewing for both of you and, and Paul too from your brewing experience, that you're really coming with strong understanding and identity of what beer should taste like, what beer should smell like, what the experience of beer should be. And you've had the ability of the experience to me that you didn't necessarily have to cut your teeth and learn your equipment. You already knew you were already dialed in. And that's why you get so much of an experience with your beer. I would say uh, still had to cut our teeth on the equipment big time. Okay. Uh, there, was, there was a good learning curve. Um, every piece of brew was a little different. Um, I had the luxury of having, or still have the luxury of having, the one barrel system and a ten barrel system. So when we first opening up, kind of tried all the recipes in the one barrel system, um, just to hone in recipes, uh, figure out um, 
the taste of the other people on the team, where we kind of wanted our beer to go, um, scaled up those recipes in the 10 barrel system um, for, for more of a production. So we do have the luxury of being able to play around with recipes, and, and especially with this Agent X series. Um, yeah, I mean, the Agent X, I, I've had your 001, which is your rye IPA, which is sensational. Yeah. I, I disclosed to you I'd never had a rye IPA prior to that, yeah. and now you've made me a big fan. Yeah. So yeah. your impact, and again, this is my education. Isn't this what you want to do? You want to educate? Yeah. You want to introduce things to the public, me, and share your brewing ability and experience this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Rye is, rye is really cool. Rye, it's one of my favorite grains to work with because um, it's so flavorful. There's so much flavor packed into, into rye um, that blend really well with a lot of different hops. Um, so it's a really fun grain to play around with. So there will be more rye IPAs coming out in the future. Awesome. We have a respect for the, the long history of beer making. Going back to the Egyptians... You, you look through its, its renaissance coming through middle parts of Europe and into Belgium and Germany, where it's no mistake that, as you brought about before in our discussion, uh, how beer and boiled products were safer than water to drink and the role of monasteries in, in supplying that as a community service to their, their parishioners or their, or their uh, attendees in the church. There is such rich history that led to the rich flavors and the diverse styles that you get across the range of beer. Beer is not a monolithic thing, and it, and it can evolve. And it, of course, the exact same recipe brewed in a different location with a different water source can end up being Absolutely. The, the terroir, the provenance of what you're creating. So you, you talked about that experience or, or, or how things you know move forward, Mike. What's the future? I mean, you're really two months into this for like a three-year project. You're two months into it. What what does this look like? I mean, what what can people expect as you guys grow up, so to speak? Yeah, that's a really you've got the Cannonball Run coming up. But yeah. what other things you know working in your mind that you're, you're looking to do, and for for your the public to become now raving fans of what you're producing. It, that's an excellent question, and it, it's something that we talk about in our leadership all the time. And we, with Sean, we're always thinking about where do we want to take this next. And I, it, it's very likely that we will end up growing from here. We intend to keep this location because this is where we started. You're going to need a bigger boat. We are going to. Need <laughs> You're going to need a bigger boat. tent. I mean, the and it, it lends itself for us to land in different places around the East Coast and around the country, but right away, as I talked about with the Battlefield series, if we're talking just dreams, we could end up in New England. We could have a location down at Annapolis, the Naval Academy. We could end up at places where there's natural beauty, historical significance. Uh, the extent to which we can bring the brand and the focus on beer activist history learning as, as a mechanism that, that our our brand becomes a vehicle for, that's outstanding to us. We, we love that part of what we see our role becoming. Uh, in terms of how that, how that progresses, that'll take time. We, we don't know where we go next. We know this will always be here, and it'll be special to us for that reason. And one of the things that we will absolutely care about is that each location, let's say we end up with, as we expect, potentially multiple locations, each location has to make every person that comes in feel that this is the only one. 
this is the one that matters. This is the one that's local. People that are running this in the location understand the local people and understand the local history because people like to feel comfortable and understood. And the extent to which our beer and the experience that we deliver through that can do that, that fulfills our mission. Now, you've also, you have the mess tent. So what was the mindset of having making, uh, making sure that you had food here yeah. for people to enjoy? I mean, Justin's back there. It's, it's closed yeah. today, but he's making, you know, the pizza dough. Yep. What was the, th- he's a great chef back there. What was the thought process there of just opening up and making sure you had food? So it's really interesting. Uh, as with most things, it's uh, compliance with the locale. <laughs> so okay. initially we thought we would do uh, a food truck in wherever we landed. And when we, we found this place and we were checking with uh, the local requirements, we found that a food truck in this location was not an option. So then we started to explore what, what we could do. Could it be uh, catered food? I mean, we didn't necessarily think we were going to get into restaurant business because that has its own risks. And you have to do that well also. Uh, But as it became clear that we were going to really need to do an actual restaurant, uh, even though it's a small menu, it's cultivated. It is curated. Uh, The the pizzas that we do are with a house-cultured sourdough that Paul Zippel, co-founder, had started growing uh, on his own over uh, the last eight, eight, nine months. Uh, and he really was in there pounding out the dough and getting everything pressed and trying out different uh, formulations until we got what we wanted. We have a uh, an oven which is a combination of gas and wood fire. Right, on the weekends you do wood fired. Oh, or, all, all the, the time. All right. yeah, so I didn't want to. I mis- misunderstood that. It's a combo of, of gas and the wood that gets added in can raise the temperature between 850 and 1,000 degrees. So we're cooking pizzas very quickly. Which is really cool because you still end up with the softness in stuff inside. It's cooked, but soft inside, and it's got that nice crispness outside. And uh, I can't wait to see the calzones you guys put out. I, you know, and uh, the, the panzerottis and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to start throwing stuff out there because that's what I want to have. Yeah. But, you know. So Paul, Paul uh, introduced me to panzerotti a, okay. a few years ago, and uh, or, or even the uh, wood fired. You know, going back to your uh, Belgian and your German roots, the wood fired pretzels that you guys are doing. We you know? do. I know. We that's what I'm saying. Fun. You yeah. know. Yep. It's this is this is a process of um, exploration. Uh, self-actualization. There are a lot of things that we're going to come to know about ourselves as we grow. We will always, however, focus on quality before quantity. And so anything that we put out would be something we would eat, something we would drink, a place where we would sit with our families. So talking about that, Sean, you're back there. What can people look forward to that is in your mind or maybe hasn't yet been brewed or will be brewed? What are some of the things coming off of what you're doing that people can look forward to as well? Yeah, so we're at a cool point now where we're a couple months in and I've got a nice reserve of beer to keep my taps full. And I, I can keep brewing production batches, but now I've got a lot more time to focus on recipe development, recipe improvement, and new beers um, that I've always wanted to try and just never really had time to. So we're going to be doing a lot of, um, or I, w- I want to try and really try and create a diverse uh, array of different 
saison styles, farmhouse beers. Um, we want to be doing more lagers. We have um, the Bali, um, which is our Czech Pilsner. Um, we have Last Call, which is our Munich, um, Munich Hellas um, light style. But I really want to try and dive more into lager beers, um, especially now that we're in the summer. Those are very drinkable in the hot Dry weather. Um, yeah, just a lot of um, just play around. Um, and now that we've kind of unleashed the Asian X series, I have a lot of freedom to do that. Again, if the beers taste good, you'll never try it, but <laughs> you'll, you'll get the good ones that come out. Um, uh, we're collaborating with local restaurants um, in Borough. Uh, James up on Split Rail uh, wanted me to make an Imperial Irish Stout for, uh, for their anniversary. Um, so that's going right now. Fermented Adventure would like you to make an Irish Imperial Irish Stout okay, as well. well I'll, I'll just, that's fine. Uh, we'll combine them together. We'll <laughs> yeah. can call whatever you want. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and if you want to do with something with, uh, with Lucky Charms, that's fine with me too. I don't mind. This will be, um, <laughs> think of it as a very, um, just a strong Guinness. All right. Um, yeah shooting for like 7%, but it's going to have that same characteristics as a Guinness. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the ability to put beers on nitro um, just yet. Not yet. Not yet, right. The but, brew, uh, that brew just got done. Yeah, so that, that one's in the fermenter now. Um, I brewed that earlier this week. James, when we were talking to him up at Split Rail Tavern, uh, outstanding place to land if you're looking yeah. for yeah, high-end curated beer craft beer menus. Uh, he, as we were talking about what we're trying to do, he said, you know, would you be interested in brewing a beer for our anniversary? And I said, absolutely we would. And uh, he said, you know, I, I, we'd love to engage with you on a lot of the historic things that you're looking to do in the, in the borough because there's so much to work with. There's such great history. And so I was asking him about styles and I said, you know, it's really interesting. We're right off of Hannam Avenue and Hannam Avenue, of course, has its history tied to John Hannam, who was a uh, colonel in the first militia that was involved in the, Re the uh, Battle of Brandywine, the Revolutionary War. And uh, so I was telling James about this story that uh, in 1784, after the war had ended, John Hannam uh, was tasked with building the county's new courthouse and prison. And at the time, the county seat was in Chester, not Westchester. And there were parties in Chester that were not happy with the idea of the uh, county seat being moved. And they happened to have a cannon left over. And so they tied that up to an ox cart and brought that into Westchester and pointed it at the new courthouse that had been built. John Hannon got his militia together, all of his former soldiers, and they took up defensive positions in the courthouse to defend it. At that point, they invited in the invading force to evaluate the fortifications that had been made and what they were going to be in for, and they signed a treaty document and handed over their cannon and left. Hannam then took his cannon, pivoted it away from the, uh, from the courthouse and started firing it off in celebration. When I told this story to, uh, to James at Split Rail, he said, I want a beer called Have Cannon Will Travel. I love that. So we're going to create that for, and it's it's in the process yeah, right now. Yeah, again, it'll be an Imperial Dry Irish Stout. Um, James is Irish, so he wanted kind of a tribute to his homeland. It's his beer bar, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's going to turn out really nice, I think. This time with you guys has exceeded my expectations tremendously. We need to do another opportunity yeah. to sit down. Obviously, you're going to do the Cannonball Run. What other events or what other activities can people expect when they come to the brewery right now? Is it just 
learning about the history? Is it just enjoying the beer? Is it going to see a little, you're going to see a little footy ball yeah. up on this big screen over here? I mean, this is the only TV you have. So really, you've created a pub. Well, that's where, a second soon. But you've created a pub style where you really want people to come and congregate. And that's my first experience here. You talk to people. You say, hey, what beer are you drinking? What are you trying? What should I be trying? Yeah. And you create, you've already created a footprint in the community. But what what activities, what can people expect when they come? You push something over to yes. me, Mike. Um, this is like the bonus ball. This is, oh my God. I mean, I, you know. <laughs> this is the black powder. Okay. So we're not letting you wait until you the try this. The black powder. This is another one of Sean's masterpieces. Okay. Recipe. Um, I'm looking at the beers on tap and I'm not seeing that right now. It's up there. It's up it's there? The second one from the top. Oh, the uh, black, IPA. black IPA. This is, so yeah, you mentioned is. this. All right, go ahead. The black powder, My, black this is, IPA. This is bonus footage. This is like bonus podcast. Yeah, you know, we yeah. were, they, they told me they had an hour, and now we're like four <laughs> hours in. It's a 9.5% ABV. The invention of gunpowder has had as much impact on human affairs as any over the course of the history of civilization. Black powder was the product of alchemists' art with a simple empirical recipe, recipe noir that harnessed power that could not be perceived by human senses until unleashed. The black powder IPA carries similar power, but in contrast to its namesake, it offers a maelstrom of complex flavors, owing to the black malts, vibrant hops, and healthy yeast used in its birth. Brewer's notes, piney bitterness with notes of grapefruit and blueberry, Low malt, malt roast allow hop bitterness to stand out front and center. Dark color, almost black. This appears and presents as a stout, yes. and that's what I thought you brought over. Yes. I've never had an, a black IPA, yeah. so thank you for introducing me to that. Yeah. And when you described a lot of the pine, and I'm still finding trying to find that blueberry note to it, but this... Look, here's what I'd say. I asked you what events and activities people can expect when they come here. Just come here. Yeah. Because the experience of coming to Artillery Brewing Company will knock your socks off. If you're a beer, a brew guy, or a brew gal, or this is a destination, if you have um, a bucket list for breweries, come here. Try it. Because what happens is now, and you're seeing, people are just going to become raving fans. And you are knocking out of the park. Thank you guys are awesome. Yeah, I want to thank you for your time. And, and awesome we've, time. we've worked through uh, lightning and thunderstorm. <laughs> we worked through water coming through the ceiling. We've worked through all kinds of stuff just to get here. Yeah. And I appreciate your time. Thank you guys are awesome. Thanks for being part of the podcast. And we can't wait to see what else comes off of everything you're doing from the front of the house and the back of the house. Um, I, I want to note that you're, the, the, the feeling you get when you come here is very hospitable. Your staff is awesome. Um, they're very knowledgeable. When you ask them what they, you, you should try, they're right on with that, listening to what you would experience or what you would want. You guys are great. So thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. This was fun. Cheers.